church said amen, huh? I told them in the first service that that song is uh, the sermon, basically. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to preach it anyway. Um, so don't get too excited. I'm not going to let you go right after the song. We're going to preach. This morning, before uh, I entered the pulpit, I was informed that Pastor Ted Goslin had passed away and that he'd gone on to be with the Lord. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us to pray. Uh, he leaves behind his wife, Leah, uh, two sons, Thaddeus and Caleb. So let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that, um, that Ted is with you now. I thank you that he has joined you. And uh, it will be sorrowful for Leah and Thaddeus and Caleb to be without him. But we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with you. So the suffering of cancer and the pain and issues that Ted suffered these last few months, he no longer suffers. And instead, he is rewarded with being present with you. So what a wonderful thing. But we do ask you for comfort for Leah, Thaddeus, and Caleb, and for an entire church there in Elsa Branty uh, that will be without their lead pastor there. So we pray for them, pray you comfort them and that you will provide as you always do in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Stop looking for treasure you already have. Stop looking for treasure you already have. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 10. And um, I jokingly said this morning that I know that Todd had done one through three, but since I needed to use it, I was going to use it anyway. So I'm going to use that uh, passage there. But let's read it together. We'll start with verse one. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to their tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that um, you'll be with me now, the speaker. I pray that you will speak through me. And that your word will come about in such a way that your people have an understanding of it that will change their hearts and change their lives. Uh, utilize this passage to do exactly that and uh, prevent us from going after philosophies and different things that don't include Christ in them. For he is all we need. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, Souls on Fire, Eli Weisel tells a remarkable tale, and I will emphasize that it's a tale. In faraway Krakow, in days when sleep was often disturbed by dreams, there lived one Isaac, son of Yekel. Isaac was a poor man whose family seldom ate their fill. They just didn't have any food. One night in a vivid dream, he saw the distant city of Prague. He saw a river flowing through the city, and under a particular bridge, he saw a buried treasure. When he woke the next morning, the dream had not faded. Its clear and vivid images remained etched on his mind. That night, the dream returned, and the next night, and every night for two weeks, Isaac had the same dream in which he saw the city of Prague, the river, the bridge, 
and the buried treasure hidden beneath the bridge. Finally, he decided to walk all the way to Prague to see for himself if the dream might be real. After several days, he arrived in the city. Even though he had never been there, he recognized it and knew it well from his dreams. He found the bridge, went under it to search for the treasure, and then suddenly was grabbed firmly at the back of his neck by a soldier who dragged him away to prison for interrogation. The soldier sat him in a chair and said, All right, Jew, what were you doing prowling around under that bridge? Not knowing what else to say, Isaac decided to tell the truth. I had a dream that there, were, there was a buried a treasure under that bridge, and I was looking for it. Immediately, the soldier burst into mocking laughter. You stupid Jew. You don't know that you can't believe what you see in your dreams. Why, for the last two weeks, I myself have had a dream every night that far away in the city of Krakow, in the house of some Jew by the name of Isaac, son of Yekel, there's a treasure buried beneath the sink in his house. Wouldn't it be the most idiotic of actions if I were to go all the way to Krakow to look for some Jew that doesn't exist? Or there may be a thousand Isaac, son of Yekels. I could waste a lifetime looking for a treasure that isn't there. With a furious laughter, the soldier stood him up, opened the door, gave him a good kick, and let him go. Naturally, Isaac, son of Yekel, walked back to Krakow, back to his own house, where he looked beneath the sink in his own kitchen, found the treasure buried there, and lived to a ripe old age as a rich man. The treasure was at home all along. Now, why would I tell such a story? Because according to these passages, this passage, we have a treasure in Christ. And sometimes we're looking all over the place for it, and it's right there in front of us. It's in Christ. The whole of Scripture, and especially the New Testament, has as its theme Jesus Christ. Yeah, all the way back to the Old Testament. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. The whole book is his life. If you don't have Christ, if he is not in you and you in him, then you have nothing. This morning, you have nothing if you have not Christ. But if you are in him and he is in you, then you have everything. Everything you could possibly want in this life is in Christ. Christ is sufficient. He is the treasure providing you with a wealth of knowledge and understanding in him. This morning, I'm going to try my best to, when you leave here, that you would be able to say, I'm no longer looking for the treasure I already have. I have treasure. I have treasure in him. So, three points I'll make. One, I'll describe what the treasure of being in Christ is like, what that means and what it means to you, and I want to let you know now, I'll never cover the subject matter fully. We could be here till tomorrow and not be able to cover it fully. But I'm going to do my best, and so I hope you are, are patient. The second point I'm going to make is it's a warning. Watch out. There are thieves that will rob you of the treasure that he gave you in Christ. They'll rob you of it. They'll try and take you into empty, vain things and rob you. The third thing we'll talk about is the fullness that we find in Christ. So let's begin. I'm just going to tell you right now if you look at verse 2 he says a heart that your hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself there's wealth in knowing Christ there's wealth in being in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you get that? All. All of it. In him, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge exist. 
Being in Christ gives us many treasures. He and he alone is the key to all the treasures. I wanted to show you a few of the treasures of being in Christ to assure myself that you have an understanding of what you have in him. So I started to look them up. I started to go through my Bible and through the knowledge that I've, that's been instilled in me by studying the word and by many men before me that have taught me. And I started to think about it. I'm like, oh, there are so many treasures. I read in one commentary that there's 58 of them. I found 43 of them and I stopped knowing that there was no way I could cover 43 of the in Christ treasures that you have. But I'm going to tell you what, I got them. They're here. If you want them, I'll loan them to you. But I would encourage you to get in the book and find them. They're there. I only, I only I stopped at 43. The guy that said there was 58 did not give me a list. I had to just start looking for them. But I found four or five of them right in the passage we just read. Did you see them? Or did you just read over it? Because that's what we do. A lot of times you hear terms like in Christ or salvation or whatever, and we just read right over it. We think we understand it, but we don't. The worst thing in the world is for you to have a treasure at your disposal and not even be aware of it. I heard somebody say that like being in Christ is like being in a vault that is full of riches and treasures. And you're in the vault and you can't see the treasures. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Everything you need is in the vault, but you can't see it. You're not aware of it. So as I was looking at this, I thought, well, let's make them aware of some of the things that they have in Christ. Let's make you aware of the treasures that are available to you, the wealth that you have at your fingertips provided by another. You had nothing to do with all these things I'm going to talk to you about. They're all in Christ. And I'm not going to do 43 of them. Although, man, I tell you, it's tempting. Number one, we see in verse two there, he says that being in Christ, we are knitted together in love. We're knitted together in love. Most of you in this room would never love me if it wasn't for Christ. You know that's true. And the ones that know me best know it's really true. Because I usually say that the other way. I usually say, well, I would have nothing to do with certain ones of you if I hadn't been saved. Now I have family here, so I can't do away with them. But it's true. But we've been knitted together in love through him and in him we're knitted together in love all of a sudden i got a big family now and so do you if you believe in jesus christ if you placed your faith in him if you're in him if you're here this morning and you've never done that if you've never trusted in who he said he was if you've never trusted that he was truly god that truly took on flesh left heaven Considered it nothing to take on flesh. For eternity, he'll be in flesh now. Came to the earth, fulfilled all that the Father gave him to do, and then was crucified on a cross, and he that knew no sin became sin on your behalf. And then they took him off of that cross and they buried him and three days later the stone got rolled away and he resurrected out of there. And then he left this earth, ascended on high. He was watched by 500 witnesses do that. If you can believe that this morning, then you can be in Christ. If you can put your trust and faith in that, then you could be in Christ this morning. If you came in out of Christ, you are in trouble. If you go out in Christ, you've got a future. And you'll have these treasures. You have wealth that comes from all assurance and understanding. True knowledge of God's mystery. You have Christ himself, which is the biggest treasure of all. You have treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You have treasures. You know that you have treasures that men cannot discover on their own. 
Man in all their wisdom cannot discover him unless he reveals himself. He has to reveal himself. He's the one that made the mystery of Christ known. Right? Isn't that what he said? Verse 2, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now there's a whole bunch more. That's just five. I've got more I'm going to do. Listen to this. And those of you who know me really well, you're going to have to go along with this because it says it in Hebrews. I'm perfect forever. I've been made perfect forever in Christ. Forever. Forever. It's really easy for me to preach this because my wife's not in the room. It's really easy to preach it because the word of God says it. Said that you're perfect forever. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, Hebrews 10, verse 1, and verse 14. Listen to this one. This encompasses about four of them. Found this one in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But by his doing, by his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So that sounds like a little bit of grace has come your way. By his doing, you could never have done it yourself. You had to exercise some grace there. You're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You got wisdom from God, divine wisdom, with all of its benefits. You got righteousness from God, all the reality and benefits of righteousness. You got sanctification from God. The pursuit and attainment of holiness is available to you through Jesus Christ and in him. All redemption from God comes in Jesus Christ. That's the soul and the body that's going to be redeemed. In Ephesians 1.3 we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings. Oh no, all spiritual blessings. In the heavenlies. And the final two words, in Christ Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is yours in Christ. All of them. Everything, every blessing that's in heaven is yours in Christ. Man, I was hoping you'd be awake by second service. That should make you shout. That should make you shout. You have every heavenly blessing in Christ this morning. I'm going to preach to this side over here. <laughs> you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but now you're alive in Christ. Ephesians 2. You were reconciled to God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. You are a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 again. And I could go on. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. I'm alive in Christ. I'm his workmanship. I am chosen by God. I am free from him. I am, I am free from sin, I should say. I am holy before him. I am not condemned in Jesus Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I am an overseer. I'm an overcomer. I have God's spirit of wisdom and revelation in me. I am the righteousness of God, believe it or not. I'm established in righteousness and far from oppression. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so are you. I am loved. I'm loved by him. I have him living in me. I have his peace. This surpasses all understanding. It goes on and it goes on. And if you want the verses... For a slight fee, I'll give them to you. I'm just teasing. I'm going to try and have them put on the web for you. All 43 of what you have in Christ. And every one of those has a verse with it. Every last one of them. I didn't make up any of those. They're in the Word of God. The treasures that you have 
in Christ Jesus, in Him. If you know those treasures, you look nowhere else. There's nowhere else to go. Second point, watch out, be aware on the warning that there are thieves amongst us. They will rob you of the treasure that God intended you to enjoy. They'll rob you of it. How will they do that? And listen, the way that the reason I started with by trying to tell you what you have in Christ is because it gives you ammunition. When the robber shows up, you don't want an empty gun. You don't. You want to know the truth about what you have in Christ. And I quit listening to these people that can't show you in the Word of God what it means to be in Christ and what the benefits are. And they start telling you that you got things that you can't find in the Word of God, run. Listen to verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. Simply by stating that, that means there are some persuasive arguments out there. There's some really smooth talkers out there. And that's what that really means, that word, that smooth talker, that, that uh, persuasive argument. It, it literally means with pithy words, which I don't even know what that means, but I found out that what this means. False teaching promotes itself through smooth talk. Be careful of the guy that dresses like me. That's a smooth talker. All of a sudden, you'll buy a car you don't even need. Most salesmen don't stutter. Most good salesmen are smooth talkers. And what these people are going to try and do, they're going to dilute the truth. If you start to dilute the truth, it's not the truth anymore. You add or subtract from this truth, it doesn't become true anymore. And they'll do it with that smooth talking. But even with smooth talk, even, with, even if they're the greatest orator, you ever hear some guy speak and you don't believe anything he's saying, but by the time he gets done, you think, man, he might have a point. Because he's so smooth. Because he orates so well. He can, get you, he can get a room fired up. He can get people that are, are, are calm as, as they can be normally, they get all fired up because he starts speaking to them with that, gets that cadence going. Smooth talker. And all it comes down to, at the end of his conversation, it's just high-sounding nonsense if it doesn't be in Christ. If it takes you away from being in him and starts promising you things that aren't in Jesus Christ, if he starts saying, well, you got Jesus, but you got to do a little something else too. Don't believe him. It's not... I believe in Jesus Christ that he died on a cross for me. I placed my faith in that. Oh, well, you better get water baptized because you don't have it yet until you get water baptized. Really? You want to show me that in the Word? Please, do me a favor. Please. Don't ever say this. Please don't ever say this. Well, Larry Howard said... Oh, no, please don't do that. Say, the word of God said. Now you're speaking with some true authority when you say the word of God says. Because you don't know, I might dilute it. You better get in your word. You better open that book up and start looking at it. We need to be careful of lies that come all dressed up in persuasive speech when all they do is, fall, is hide false teaching. You've got to be careful. How can you be careful? Well, Paul says that him as a leader in verse 5, for even though I am absent in my body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul had been reported to him that they were doing well, so he's saying, hey, I'm encouraged by that. I wanted to let you know I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that even though I'm not there, I've had this great report, you're doing well, but guess what? Something's on the horizon. 
how do I fight against the thing on the horizon? How do I make sure that I'm not, the truth isn't diluted, and that I'm not um, persuaded by some persuasive argument? How do I make sure of that? Well, you go back to the, the basics. Verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Jesus Christ? Anybody? How did you receive him? Did you do a bunch of things and then you got him? Bunch of work? Did you come and pray at the altar for 45 minutes and that's what did it? Did, was it you sang a song, you said a sinner's prayer? No, it was faith. It's through faith. By his grace, through faith, you believed. You put your trust in this. And this not of yourself, according to Ephesians 2. Don't get it crooked. It was God that gave you even that in Jesus Christ. The ability to be able to believe. But you placed your faith in that message of the cross. And what was done there. That's what you did. So, in the beginning, you started with Christ Jesus by placing faith in him. He became the Lord. It, it's interesting when he says Christ Jesus the Lord. It's the only time Paul ever uses that phraseology. All his other ones, he never uses that phrase. He's saying, you, you were in Jesus Christ and he became your Lord. He is the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. So walk in him. So live in him. How do you do it? The same way you believed in the beginning. It's faith again. I still have faith in him. I can read his word and the promises that he made here, I believe them. I can trust him. I have faith in him. Now listen to this, verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, in him, you see it again, the words in him again, over and over, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Having been firmly rooted, have roots that dig down into the richness of the word, have a foundation that is strong, laid upon Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. It is so important to be taught the word of God. It is a magnanimous proportion that you be taught. Lack of knowledge will always create a paralysis in you. You, you won't know what to do when someone takes on what you believe in your faith if you don't have the knowledge. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's Jesus Christ. Yeah, he died on a cross for you. Yeah, that's what, that, that's what happened. That's right. You need to believe that, but you also need to believe this. You're, you're really not saved because you didn't believe this or this other set of rules that I have that man made up. It's not in the book. It's man made up. In the book, it's God made. That's a different thing. It is so important that you be taught. Believers fall prey to all kinds of strange ideas. And boy, have I seen this over the years. I, I've, I've heard testimonies about some really strange things sometimes. They fall prey to all kinds of strange ideas unless they are rooted in Christ. You have to be rooted in Christ. That's what the passage says. Grounded in the word and built up in biblical truth. If you come to me and we talk and I give you a bunch of things for you to do and I don't go to the word of God at all, I wish you wouldn't listen to me. No, I mean, if you're asking me about how to frame a house, you don't have to go to the word of God for that. But if it's biblical, if it's spiritual, you need to make sure you can find it in these scriptures. That's why I told you all 43 things about him in Christ. I got a passage for every one of them. Otherwise, it's just men talking. Blah, 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 blah. It means nothing. 
Many Christians think that they are safe because they prayed some prayer for salvation 20 years ago. Well, I'm good. Are you? What have you gone on to learn about the one that you placed your faith in? Have you learned anything? Do you know about the treasures that you have in your life? It's kind of like saying I was born and I just, I'm here today without any help, without any, nobody teaching me anything. I just, suddenly I'm here. No, no. God put men in the church, men in leadership roles to help you, to proclaim the word of God, to teach you so you can learn. But let me tell you something. It does not get you a get out of jail free card of studying at home. Get in the word of God and learn what he said about Christ. What do you have in him? Get in there, dig in. I found 43 things in about an hour and a half. I think you can probably find the same 43. Now, I know you can if you study and you look for them. If you don't, you don't actually do these things, you won't survive. You won't survive. People that have decided they're not going to go back to church. You know any of those people? Look around. Look around. There's people that have decided they're not coming back to church. Oh, okay. So they found some way that they can uh, serve one another in isolation. I haven't been able to figure that out. And trust me, I like sitting in my pajamas, drinking a cup of coffee, watching a service just as much as you did. But it's not the same as being here. It's not the same. If you don't get in the word, you'll fall prey to every wind of doctrine that flies around. The thing that changed my life as a 14-year-old boy was going to Holy Ghost Hall on Tuesday nights and being taught doctrines and theologies of what I had in Christ. I didn't know I had those things. I was trying to live the Christian life without knowing those things. It's impossible. You'll fail at every corner. Every turn that comes along, you'll fall off the bike and have to start over. Get in the Word. Learn the truth. We're trying to offer you classes downstairs on even how to study your Bible. And there's several others that are on their way. If you don't, you'll fall prey to the philosophies. You'll become spiritual slaves if you don't walk in Christ and grow up in Him. You've got to grow up in Him. You've got to grow up in the knowledge of who He is. I wish I had more time to share some more of those. See to it that no one takes you captive. Verse 8. See to it that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You need to take it and make Christ the litmus test for everything that's being said to you. The Word of God and everything about Christ in here, look, you tell me, hey, I got this new thing we're going to try. I don't see it in here. I'm not showing up for that Bible study because that's not a Bible study. That's a philosophy class. No, thank you. I'd rather spend my hour and a half studying the Word. Make him the litmus test of whether a philosophy, a belief, a system of beliefs is hollow or if it's got substance to it. Let me tell you, if it's man-made, it's hollow. This is where it irritates me when I get these books about how to grow the church. I thought it wasn't my job to grow the church. But someone's selling some books because they keep writing books about how to grow the church. I'm going to tell you how the church grows. We start discipling people. We start telling people about Jesus Christ. 
That's how the church grows. I am not here to make the church grow. I'm here to teach those that want to be taught and share the gospel with those that don't know him. That's what we're, and we're here to shepherd you. We're here to walk you through when, whenever your husband dies in his early 50s. That's two this week I heard about in their 50s that passed away. Thank God they knew Jesus Christ. Almost every religion assigns Christ a place of eminence. They give him a supremacy. They acknowledge him as a great teacher. But only Christianity, only Christianity believes he was God. If you tie into some philosophy that says he was anything but God, run! Only Christianity assigns him a place of firstness, superiority, of preeminence. Do not become captive through philosophy. What is philosophy? It's just human opinion. It's the mind of man. There are no human solutions to spiritual problems. There isn't. No human solutions to that. Get in the Word. It'll tell you what to do. There are no human insights that can solve things for man that the Bible cannot. There aren't. And this is just one of them, philosophy. Tim, next week, is going to deal with legalism or mysticism, maybe asceticism. We're going to get through that next. Those are other isms. Anything that has an ism on it, be, be wary of it. There is nothing necessary for life and godliness that is not delivered to us by, except by the word through the Spirit. Nothing. There is nothing necessary for life and godliness that is not delivered to us by the word through the Spirit. We don't need Christ plus some human philosophy or some human wisdom. <laughs> all the philosophers in the world, all of them that have ever lived in ancient times or currently, and then I wrote all this stuff, all the authors, the psychologists, the sociologists, the writers, the movie producers, Songwriters, oh, you guys get into your songs. Oh, no, talk show hosts. Oprah Winfrey's got nothing for me. What about your news source? Oh, Fox cuts it right. No, CNN cuts it right. No, it's MSNBC. No, I'll tell you who it is it's Jesus Christ that cuts it right. Political leaders, religious leaders, all the great orators who speak about truth and life and morality and all their so-called solutions to human problems. Have you ever seen any of them work yet? Are any of them working? They add nothing to what is in Christ. They add nothing to it. In Christ is where you want to be. Their philosophies never have worked and they never will. Unless they can point you to Christ, ignore it. True philosophy doesn't even exist anymore. The true philosophy doesn't exist anymore. All the philosophy in our postmodern world is not thinking anymore. It used to be philosophy made you stop and think about things. All philosophy is not bad, but in our world today, I think most of it is. But in this postmodern world, it's not about you thinking anymore. You know what it's about? Feelings. It's all about my feelings. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. How do I feel about it? Well, I feel like it's okay I cheated my wife this week. Is that okay? No. But in postmodern society, you just say, whatever. Whatever's good for you, and it's okay as long as it doesn't hurt me. You ever hear that? Yeah. yeah we hear it all the time, don't we? We're hearing it all the time. Well, as long as, it, hey, as long as I make my money over here and the stock market's doing well, which it's not, and I'm not paying $7 a gallon for gas, which I am, so there's all these problems. Anyway, so, yeah, anyway, craziness. I don't get political. I don't like to play that game. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Listen to this. For it is written, this is Paul writing this, but he's saying, for it is written, 
And now he's going to quote Isaiah 29. All the way back in Isaiah 29, God had this down. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You get that? The foolishness of the message preached. You don't have to do anything except accept him. That stops people in their tracks from sometimes believing. Carolyn will probably remember this. We sat right there, second row, with a young lady who wept through most of the presentation of Jesus Christ on a cross dying for her. And she, she was wanting to believe it. And she sat there and we said, well, all you have to do is accept it as a free gift. And she was sobbing. And she went like this. <laughs> Stopped crying. Started putting her stuff together. And said, no, there's got to be more to it than that. Walked up and left. I don't know if I've ever seen the girl since. But when I was there with her and me and Carolyn were talking to her, I just knew that fruit's about to fall. We got to catch it. And it dried up as quick as it started. No, no, there's got to be more to it than that. There doesn't have to be more to it than that. That's what it is. It's something that he's done for you. It's a free gift. And if you start adding things to it, you are... Oh, you make it nothing. You make it void when you add stuff to it. You diminish it. You diminish Christ himself when we do that. The truth is never far away from being attacked. And the attacks come from human effort to discredit or add to the scriptures. Constantly. Surely God didn't create. Surely that's not six literal days. Well, if you start taking things out of Scripture, you might as well take Christ dying on a cross out for you too. If you're going to buy into that philosophy that the six days were really billions of years, that's craziness. But people believe it. And what does it do? It takes your eyes off of Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive in these philosophies. See to it. I would rather have you look at what you are in Christ than look at these philosophies that tell you you've got to have something besides him. There's nothing besides him. Empty deception according to the traditions of men. Listen to this. I'm going to tell you about philosophies according to my traditions as a man. That's ridiculous. The guy telling the story can't be more than 50 years old, 70 years old. And you're going to believe his philosophies? Or according to the elementary principles of the world. That word, I looked it up there, it really means rudimentary thought. Elementary learning. It's like teaching a kindergartner. You're teaching the ABCs of life. That's the most brilliant philosophers in the world are rudimentary teachers. And what do you do? You accept those philosophies rather than look at Jesus Christ. That's what they do. They shift you. They shift you. You're following. Look what Colossi's doing. They're following after Christ. They're doing well. And in they come. In they come, these false teachers with new philosophies. And they start telling them, oh, well, that's good, but you've got to have this too. Now what happens? They start to get frustrated and confused. What, what? Maybe we haven't been told the truth. Oh, it can never happen in today's world, could it? No one ever lies to you. It happens all the time. When you go to philosophy, 
it basically, from what I can see in the passage, it causes you to regress backwards. You go away from Christ, you get nothing. And look, when you met Christ, you were captive. Weren't you? Weren't you captive in your sins when you met him? When you first put your trust in him, when you first put faith in him, you were captive by sin. You could do nothing but choose sin until you got in Christ. Once you got in Christ, now you've got a choice. I'm not done, but we'll move on. We're going to talk about verses 9 and 10. The fullness of being in Christ. The fullness of being in Him. It's not, I'm in Christ and I need a bunch more stuff. Right? The, the word fullness means you're filled up, you're full. What can you add to something that's full? Nothing. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Paul describes that Jesus is God. He's full deity. Him and the Father are one. He is God. The word actually shows up twice in this passage, in these two verses. Shows up there that his fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Remember I said he's got a body still. He, he, he had a body then, it's still got a body, and it shows up, he's deity, he's God. Exactly God. All the fullness of deity lived in his physical body. Listen to this. Paul understood that when believers drift into worldly living or are taken prey by worthless philosophies, it is usually because they feel they lack something that Jesus Christ cannot supply. They've been told he's not sufficient. It's Christ plus something. The minute you say Christ plus, you just said he's not sufficient. He's not supreme. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And in him, you have been made complete. You've been made full. Same word used for his fullness above. Now, you're not a deity. That's not what he's saying. But you've got the fullness of Christ in you now. If he's got deity, he's got the Father next to him. He, you got him, he's got you. You're full. There's nothing else to be added. Now, don't say, well, then I'll, I can just live however I want. You know, that's not true. There is sanctification still going on. But in position, I'm there with him. I'm full. You don't add anything to this. I'm not going to get salvation through something else. By adding to what Christ did, I don't get salvation. It is not the mysterious, esoteric knowledge of the Gnostics that brings spiritual completion or fullness. And it is not a bunch of these other things that we'll talk about just briefly. It is the knowledge of Jesus, the acknowledgement of him above all else, and we are complete. We're full in him. Today, I'm full in him. Today, you're full in him. Can somebody clap for that? Paul wrote this book 2,000 years ago. Close to that, maybe a little less than 2,000. But it could have been written today, couldn't it? It could have been written right now. Here's a short list of some of the empty philosophies over the last 1,000 years, past century even. How about fascism? It's empty. It doesn't work. Nazism, well, that certainly didn't work. Especially if you were Jewish, that didn't work. Communism. What about atheism? What does atheism land you in? Trouble. All of these are troublesome. Man-made conditions. Man-made philosophies. Here's some of the more recent ones. You can look at those and go, yeah, but well, I don't have those. Those are easy. Now, they are probably are easy for most of you, I hope. Listen to this. What about individualism? That's a, that's a philosophy. 
the me first doctrine that says that the individual is the most important thing in society I will tell you now and I will say it again and again and again that is anti-biblical the Christian faith is to be lived out all by ourselves no in a community we're to do it together we come together I don't stay at home in my living room I come together what about consumerism you never heard any of these I'm sure these are the kind of philosophies that nobody even states them as a philosophy they just are that's just what's going on but consumerism the idea that constant spending and gratification of our needs and desires is a good thing because it fuels our economy and therefore healthy for capitalism oh yeah how many of you shopped on Amazon last week and bought something you don't need consumerism you bought something you got no room in your house to put it materialism very similar the belief that the material world is all there is this is all there is that nothing exists beyond what can be seen heard smelled touched or tasted if that's you today I've got a Christ that you need to meet What about nihilism? Gained a lot of ground lately. This is a belief that there is nothing to be hoped for. That everything in the universe is random without meaning. Without purpose. And there, therefore, everything about what we do is completely pointless. There is no place to which we can turn to find hope it's nihilism and there's a lot of the world that believes that what about relativism everything is relative there are no absolutes it's an absolute statement that there's no absolutes it's as stupid as it gets the idea that everything is relative even truth itself so that if I believe there's a God then that's true for me and if you believe there is no God, then that's true for you. The belief system, the, okay, that works. It's fine with me. You can believe there is one. I'll believe there isn't one. Sometimes our lives look like we don't care. Like, I believe there's a God, and you don't. Well, he doesn't believe. Okay. No, no, no. That, that's not the right attitude. The, the right attitude is to tell him about God and to show him why there is a God. And all of this stuff falls underneath the postmodernism that we live in, the postmodern world. They don't, nobody really cares. Every single one of these empty philosophies is dangerous because they are hardly realized as philosophies at the time that they are going on. You hardly even realize that we're living like that, but that's what we're doing. We've bought into all these, not, not we necessarily, but people have bought into these philosophies. And it's really poisonous when it gets in the church because you've bought into philosophies instead of pointing back to Christ. You have to point back to Christ. That's where the fullness is at, is in him. Fullness is not in you doing a bunch of things. As far as I understand the passage, I'm already complete in Christ. What makes a philosophy hollow? And what does Paul mean when he refers to being taken captive? You could say a philosophy is hollow when it does not carry within itself the power to deliver on its promises. That's what happened with communism. That's what happened. I, I, was, I was taking a class one time, and a guy was talking about communism. We were talking about it. And he said, uh, he goes, well, Larry, you know, the communism really, worked. It really is a good philosophy. I'm like, huh? He goes, yeah, when you look at it on paper, it's good. Like, if it would all work the way they say it does on paper, it would be beautiful. I go, well, then, then what was the problem? He goes, well, the problem was is as soon as you introduced people into it, it didn't work. I'm like, well, that sounds like something somebody would make up. Waste of time. Paul's words are ancient modern. Written 2,000 years ago and perfectly applicable to today. Amen. Let me close with a challenge here. The challenge was me getting closed up here. I don't particularly mind when non-believers do not acknowledge the preeminence of Christ 
I, I think that they don't do that because that's, they don't have any ability to do that. So that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that when we do it, when we as believers take on the notion that there's something beyond Christ, some philosophy, some new thing, that's when it starts to bother me. You're, you're, the, you're the hope for a lost and dying world around us. But you're only the hope if you believe only the things that are in Christ. If you start adding things to it, you're no hope at all to them. Because when you ask somebody if they think they're going to go to heaven or not, and they say yes, and they never place faith in Christ, what's the thing they usually tell you? Well, I'm a pretty good person. That won't get you in heaven. You, you could be the best person that ever walked the face of the earth with sin that's in Adam, I should say, and it's still not good enough. You need Christ. You have to have him. And you need that so you can be complete, so you can have that fullness. Because everything else, everything else, every other philosophy out there will leave you empty. And what you're looking for is fullness. And the only place to find fullness is in Christ. So my challenge for you this morning, and I don't say this without acknowledging the fact that we have a pastoral staff, we have elders, we're here to shepherd you. We're, we're trying to do the best we can to do that. And um, with God's help, we'll continue to. And we're going to shepherd you in your journey, help teach you the Word of God. But you need to learn the Word of God to grow and mature in your faith. To not settle for outward appearances of religion, but to go for heart change. Not, oh, I'm keeping these 73 rules, but my heart is still as cold as it was when I started. I'm checking off boxes, I'm checking off boxes, checking off, oh! Get you nowhere. Get you nowhere. You need a heart change. You need your heart changed. The Word of God moves your heart to change. And that's an inside job that only Jesus Christ can do. He's the only one that can change your heart. Let me ask you something. In that scenario, if you know that Jesus Christ is the one that changes the heart of men, and you really want to be changed to be more like him, does getting further away from him or closer to him cause you to be able to do that? It's so obvious. Closer. One of the ways that you do that, and I say it every time I preach, it seems like I say this. You've got to get in this book, people. You've got to get in this book. You've got to learn the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what it means. I want you to discover all 58 of those truths about being in him and I'm going to tell you what I don't think that there's 58 I think there's way more than that all of the benefits all of the things of being in Christ if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ oh I wish you'd see me after service so that I can talk to you and show you and tell you about this wonderful savior of mine Heavenly Father we thank you this morning for the word of God the, thank you that uh, you didn't hide yourself from us. That you chose to reveal yourself through the word of God to us. That you came looking for me when I hated you, you said. And you placed me in Christ. And all oh, the benefits. I went from death to life. I have hope. The grave doesn't conquer me anymore. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm in Christ. As Tim said earlier in setting up the prayer time this morning, I can fall asleep at night not concerned that someone's out to give me spiritual judgment or eternal judgment. What a wonderful God you are. What a wonderful God you are. May the truth of the Scriptures 
that were read this morning penetrate the hearts of the people of Valley Bible Church and change their lives. And if they're dabbling in those false philosophies, those things that aren't in Christ, I pray that this will be the warning shot for them to stop and that they would start to study who you are or you truly want to change them and make them more like you. Pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.